you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. I was at Tesco's handing in the poster for the Hustings meeting on Wednesday evening. And I left it till the weekend because I'm well aware you put up posters and let's be honest, most folk don't even really look at them. So I thought, leave it till it's the weekend and it kind of stands out. And it was one of the young under managers that were standing at the, at the desk that you get your papers and you also get your lottery tickets. Indeed, somebody was in, in front of me. I think they'd hoped their lottery ticket was going to come up with Christmas arriving and they were told the news that they'd taken one that lasted a month or something. I don't know. Maybe it's the Euro Millions or something. So if you see me turning up in a Rolls Royce at Christmas time, <laughs> my number wouldn't have come up because I don't do it. But anyway, I, I handed over, and the young fellow, you'll recognize, one of the younger men in, in Tesco's took it and was very responsive. And then this lady, who then come, was kind of behind me waiting to do whatever she was going to do. She said, oh, don't talk about the election. And she went like this. <laughs> and the young fellow said, well, I've decided already how I'm going to vote. I said, well, come along and hear what other things, and challenge perhaps even the other folks and all the rest of it. She said, oh, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. And the truth of the matter is, I think that lady represents a large part of the community um, of our nation at this time. Um, I don't think the Christmas tree, the Christmas tree won't be up for Wednesday, but it would be ironic if we had carol singing before we had an election hustings. But nonetheless, we're living in a, an unusual month. And there will be folks like that younger fellow, and I was glad to hear that, who at least has thought through things and has got some ideas of how they're going to vote. But there will also be many who are best skeptical and at worst just won't even participate at all in this coming election. I would commend you as believers to exercise your right and your privilege as living in a democratic society to vote. How you vote is your own business. But as Christians, we have a responsibility to play our part within our society's affairs, and I would encourage you all strongly to exercise your democratic right. But even as you do that, you may wonder just what's going to happen. Promises are made. Money is spent, or at least is going to be spent, varying from a few billion to many billion. This decision or that decision is going to lead us into a bright future, either for the United Kingdom or for Scotland. Whatever perspective, all of that is said before us. And many of us, even those of us like myself, who are committed to the democratic process and are interested in politics, do watch News Night and dear knows what else. Well, it could almost be a bit like the promises we read earlier in the book of the prophet Isaiah, when we read in verse 4 of chapter 2, and I encourage you to open your Bibles and have this passage before you, where we read that he, meaning the Lord, will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their saws into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And as we read that promise... On one hand, it's a very positive promise, a bit like the promises that our politicians are making, that there's going to be a new day dawning, a new start, a new order, a new beginning, a radical change in the life of our world, not only in the life of a particular nation. There will be global peace. There will be harmony. There will be bounty, in a sense, because if their equipment is going to turn into plowshares and everything, then the ground will bring forth the harvest that will feed the world and all its needs. 
And this picture of global peace, of global prosperity, of global plenty has been a dream, has been a vision, has been a promise that's been shared amongst the nations of the world down through the generations. And yet, in these early years, well, they're not actually that early. 2020, I stuck up my year planner for 2020 yesterday. I got a row off my wife for doing it. She says, that's bad luck. I said, we don't believe in that year. Uh, I've already looked at February and March and dates and all the rest of it, so I needed to put it up beside my desk. But 2020, I've still got the gas fire I bought for the millennium bulk. Remember the emergency one, you know? Frightened to put it on in case it blows up, you know? Uh, but how the years go in, but we live, and this is a tragic thing, that we live in a world today that's more divided, where there is more injustice, where there is great poverty and hunger and need in a world indeed if the prophet was speaking today he would maybe not only speak about global peace he would have a word to say about global warming and all the issues that surround that we live in a world where the needs are even more evident partly because we are more aware of it because of technology and because of the media but i would also suggest because partly it is the fact creation is groaning waiting for its day of deliverance and we might well this morning think this promise is a bit like the promise that many our politicians make, well-intended, good promises in many ways, but ultimately they're powerless to deliver what they say. Is that the case of God? Is that the case of the prophet as the mouthpiece of God, that this promise, this picture will not be realized? And if we were only to take these verses, then we may well think this Advent season, this Advent season of hope, this Advent season of waiting for the promise to be realized, the countdown, not only to Christmas, but God's kingdom coming in all its fullness, we may well think, well, is there any candle big enough and long enough to cover our waiting? for wishful thinking to become reality. And yet, as we look at this promise in the context of that chapter, and that's why even last Sundays we looked at Isaiah 9, that a child is born and everything else, we looked in the context, always very dangerous, just to take a few verses. I remember saying to Nathan once when we were talking about something, that if we do that, we just take odd verses out of the Bible, frankly, my friends, we can justify anything, anything. But in the context of what this chapter, indeed the whole testament of the Old Testament is, you'll see that the promise is not in vain. First of all, there is this problem. And the problem really is opened up, it's opened up through the whole of this prophecy, but opened up particularly in this chapter, in those verses that again, interesting enough, weren't read at the service this morning in the radio. The promise, or rather the problem of the human condition. We come back to that continually. I happen to think that's actually one of the issues that the church needs to speak more boldly about in this day, in this generation, the reality of the human condition. Yes, total depravity, meaning we're not all running amok doing bad things, but of the state of the human need and soul. And the prophet here, or rather God through the prophet, opens that up. Here again, what God says through his prophet. 
You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east and practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. He's making a statement about the state of Israel but he could be making a statement about the state of our nation, about the state of Western world, of the world generally, but yes, particularly the Western world. Now, you might say there's not many horses tied outside, and there's not many statues lying about the streets of Uddingston that people bow down to, but there are plenty of idols in 21st century Britain, including, unfortunately, within 21st century Western Christianity plenty of cars, plenty of possessions, plenty of gold and silver, perhaps not very fairly distributed, but plenty of it, plenty of things that we give our hearts and lives over to, to worship and to give our time to, the work of our hands, to what our fingers have made. And he goes on to say also that the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride made low. We live in a day where like the Tower of Babel, there are those who want to make a name for themselves. Perhaps this morning, ultimately, that is what is in your heart. And if it is, that's a sign of your spiritual lostness and need. Your desire in your human heart is to build a name for yourself in this area of life, or in that area of life, in that type of work, or in that type of position within society, or some group, or some club. Like the Tower of Babel, you want to rise up and to stand up and out above everything else. And like the Tower of Babel, God tells us you'll be struck down and brought low. And we see living out in our world, but we also, before we point the finger, and I've said this repeatedly, before we point the finger to outside, we have to allow the word of the Lord to point its finger to our own hearts and to the God's people. Because at the end of the day, this is a word to the Lord's people. We have to confess that so often we have set up in our hearts idols. We have worshipped other things. Even when we sing the songs of Zion, our hearts are singing another tune. And we have trusted in humans. Now, that's not to say, and again, we can take that out of context, meaning we shouldn't trust. That's not what the Bible is saying. But what it does mean is we shouldn't look to any human being or any human institution, any politician or any government or anything else to be the answer of bringing God's kingdom here and earth, to be, bring these, some of these promises that we read about just a few minutes ago. They cannot do that because they are but a breath in their nostrils. They're just frail flesh like all of us, who make promises, well-intentioned perhaps, but like all of us, often fail to have the power or ability to come true in what we say. And that's the human condition. That's why the light shines in the darkness. See what I was saying last Sunday? That's, why, that's the context it means, yes, it's lovely, and it was beautiful seeing what looked like snow anyway, the outside. It's all very festive, and it's lovely, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very into that. If Elizabeth counted how many times to say festive over this period, she'd run out, you know? 
I'm into all of that as much as anything else. I like the place to look with. But at the end of the day, if that's all it's about, a nice feeling, a nice look, a nice appearance, a cozy kind of atmosphere, then come the 1st of January, it'll soon disappear. And the realities of the new year will dawn, the darkness will dawn once again. And we'll be left with ourselves and our own souls. And in a society where the superstitions from the East and the divinations from other nations and pagan customs come in and are part of our land and what was once the land of the book. As we saw last Sunday in Isaiah 8, do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not in people inquire of God, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? My friends, that is all 2020 for many people in such a land and even within our own hearts. We need God to act. And this passage tells us of that. Right at the beginning of chapter 2, we did, this is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. That is the people of God, the southern kingdom, and the city, the holy city, city of Jerusalem. In the last days... The mount of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. On Wednesday evening at the midweek meeting, we were looking and spent time, we're not going to do that today, at the mountain of the Lord and the significance of that in the Old Testament, the New Testament. Let's just briefly remind ourselves, the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai, where God entered into that commitment, that covenant with the people. And yes, that Mount of Calvary, where God entered into the new covenant, in my blood, we'll be thinking about that just in a few minutes. God's mountaintops, where God comes down, not that we get to Him, but he comes down and meets with his people. That is what is at the heart of biblical Christianity, the story of the Bible. And that promise, what is the last days? Well, there are those, of course, who would want to tie that down to a particular time in human history. They would look around the events of the world and say, we must be literally living in the last days. Jesus is going to come back any time. I'm sure if you'd lived during the last war, you'd have said that. I'm sure if you lived in all the great epochs of history over the last 2,000 years, you would have said that. A day, a day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like the day the Lord himself said he did not know that day when he would return. Only the Father you. We live in that Advent hope, but we do live in the last days because the last days began when Jesus exalt, was exalted into glory and when the angels on that great ascension day said to the disciples, don't hang about here looking up, go out, go back home, go on with what you're doing because the Jesus you saw going into heaven will return likewise from heaven. We are in those last days from the day of the ascension to the day of his glorious return. And in these last days, God is at work. 
He is fulfilling the promise, the promise He gave to the disciples to go out and to preach, not just to Jerusalem and Judea, but to the ends of the earth, and that God would fulfill the promise He gave through His people Israel, that He would draw all the nations to Himself. That promise is a continual reminder about in the book of Revelation, where that number without number are gathered around the Lamb, worshiping, drawn from every tribe and language, grouping and nation within the world. God is doing that in our world today. But you see, my friends, so many of us, including myself, are sort of caught up in the Western philosophy of our mind. We think we're the bees and ease. We've taken that great global message. We've taken that great message of Christianity. We've so personalized it. We've so individualized it. We've so tied it down to our own culture and thinking that we lose sight of the fact that, yes, God is doing His work far beyond, far measurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. Each day, as we just said on Wednesday night at the midweek meeting, how many thousands on that day on Wednesday would have named the name of Jesus and would have entered into his kingdom? That will have happened. That does happen. But we're not here. But you know, my friends, I have to tell you something. You, I, Uddingston, we're not the center of the world or of God's purposes for the world. Why should we think we deserve more seats at the banqueting table of the Lamb than the rest of the world. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And one of the great sins of Western Christianity is that we've found we've lost sight often of that. Where He is exalted. Remember what Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw men and women to myself. It was a joy on Friday, great joy, to have Paul and Ashley here for their wedding day. And I reminded Paul's family and friends and Ashley's family and friends who were here of the fact that a year ago, just now, you came along to the village Christmas. You both perhaps came along to the village Christmas and you came back later to speak with myself and to be part, to become part of the church. But what's more important is over this past year, God has been at work within their lives. It was a joy for us as a church to share in that. God does add to that number those who are being saved all over the world. And that hunger to find out what God wants. And often again, we lose sight of that. And yet we hear from Elizabeth and Karen and other people of those who come to the discipleship training that organizations, for instance, like the Scripture Union do heard through Gregor, and we still as a couple, as parents and, 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 and folk who were blessed ourselves to be at university to support the work of UCCF and the work amongst universities. This coming month or these coming weeks, there'll be many carol service and other events. And remember, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of speaking at one. The only time I ever preached at Glasgow Cathedral, I wasn't even a Church of Scotland minister. And to see that hundreds there, well, let's pray for that over this coming period as people come from all cultures and all races to these carol servers that God will draw people to himself and they will say, come, let us go to the mount of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Let's pray that over this Christmas season there will be those who have come to this land to study who will go home back to wherever they came from rejoicing because they've met with the Lord in his town and have a hunger to hear what he's saying through his word. God's word is going out from Zion. It will not return void as the prophet Isaiah tells us, but accomplishes the purpose he has ordained for it. God keeps his word. 
But lastly, we're also told, not just in the last days, we're told that the Lord Almighty has a day in store. And when the Bible speaks of the day of the Lord, He's meaning a specific event in history. Just as clear as that day took place when the child was born of Mary, when God spoke and brought everything to being, when God spoke and entered into frail flesh, so there is a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, for all the cedars. And he goes through everything. Basically, what he's saying is all these things that in our world look as if they cannot be moved, those things that look as if they cannot be broken, those regimes, those attitudes, those principles, those ideas and philosophies, and yes, those people who set themselves up to be petty like God, he will turn them to dust arrogance of man will be brought low, and human pride humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And yes, people will flee from Him as the splendor of His majesty rises to shake the earth. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord on that day. Hitler will do that. Stalin will do that. All the great men and women of history will bow the knee before Jesus Christ and declare Him as Lord. But for them, it will be the cry of anguish as they enter into the pit of hell. But I trust for us this morning, It'll be the cry of joy. It'll be like the child who in Christmas Day opens the present and discovers what Santa, what he'd written to Santa about or what mom and dad had promised has been realized. And that cry of childlike joy as the promise is revealed and the glory is seen and we say, hallelujah, the Lord alone is exalted. But every eye will see him and every tongue will confess. And on that day, he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That glorious promise fulfilled when we read in the book of Revelation that we saw, I saw heaven open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages wars. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowds. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine living, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He tries to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautiful, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. There will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, but there no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making everything new. 
that day will come, my friends. And whether it's tomorrow or whether it's not for another thousand years, God will keep his word. Are we ready? For whenever that day comes, either as still living people or those who are raised from the dead, are we ready to welcome the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That's what stands at the heart of this Advent season. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.